available to them today. So we give you thanks. We promise to give you the glory. In Jesus' name, and everyone say, Amen, Amen, Amen. Sit down, sit down, everybody. Uh, I got to do one more thing before I, um, before I get into the message. The poster. The poster. Listen, listen. We, we made more posters for you. Amen. Last time, two weeks ago, we ran out of posters. We made more posters. There are people who are sending their kids off to college and they're treating this like American Express. Don't leave home without it. All right? They're putting it up on their fridges. They're putting it in their rooms. Why? What's this? What is it? This is a guide to help you how to make decisions that's going to glorify God, secure your future, and make sure that you're doing the wise thing. Somebody said the wise thing. Amen. Because guess what? Sometimes the issues we get into is not because we did something wrong. It's because we did something foolish. Okay, let me say it another way. It's not because we did something immoral. It's because we did something unwise. I don't want anybody to think they're a fool today. But here's what I am saying. Sometimes we look back in our lives. Oh, this is true, right? Right, this is true. We look back in our lives and said, If I knew then what I know now, I would have done so. How many of you ever said that? How many? Exactly. That means you used to be a what? A fool, a, a unwise. Use me unwise. So here's, here's what this does. This helps you to not say the same thing 10 years from now. If you can, here's the whole point of the series. Better questions lead to better decisions. And so therefore, if you ask yourself the right questions, not questions like, hey, is this wrong? Is anybody going to catch me? No, no, those are the wrong questions. You can't ask that. You ask that, you're in trouble. If you are asking how far is too far, you're already in trouble. Hello. <laughs> what you got to ask is these questions. Hey, am I being honest with myself? Really? All right. Well, what, what story do I want to tell? Is there attention that deserves my attention? How about this one? What is the wise thing to do? And last one, what does love require of me? Listen, if you can take this, give it to your niece, nephew, children, yourself, your, your parents, whatever. Give it to people because this is going to help them. Today, we're going to deal with two of those questions. We're going to deal with two of those questions. We're going to deal with the legacy question and the conscience question. The legacy question and the conscience question. Let me tell you something. My kids love when I talk to them about the stories of my life, like in the past, right? The stuff. They love the story about how I met Samantha. Samantha, we have two different stories, right? She saw me leaning up against a wall. I saw her at a party with two ponytails. She was the cutest thing. I was the most dashing, <laughs> devastatingly handsome thing she ever saw in her life. But, but, but we, t we tell the stories. We tell stories about, about their birth and just kind of how we, you know, did things. We tell a story about how uh, there was this one time, right? Um, you know, my mother had passed and she had left some money for, for me. And, and we took 1.2 million Jamaican dollars and gave to build our local church. And we trusted that God would build our home if we built His. Oh my gosh. How many of you know? That's a, that's a serious story right there. Because you trust in God when you do that. 
And you know what? Here's the thing. They've seen us have favor after favor after favor with house after house. I mean, I can't even tell you. We don't even have money and people provide money for us to buy our house. What is that? Because God was trustworthy and I could... You see, the, those are the stories. I tell them the story about my mom and how God delivered her from drugs and, and, and then you know she got saved and had a ministry and then she died. I tell them that story is sad. And then I tell them the story about how my, my stepmom got saved at my mother's funeral. And how she gave her life to Jesus and decided she was going to have a, a gospel music career. And how my father, who was a poster child for Rastafarianism, got saved because my stepmom had cancer. And so he said, like, God, if you save her, if you heal her, I'll serve you. And he healed her and he serves him. Come on now. And how it is that, that then, then here it is that he used to produce uh, concerts for Bob Marley, but now he produces the largest Christian gospel concert in Jamaica. Come on now, that's, that's Jesus right there. I tell him the story about how we started this church and we didn't have a building or a room and so we used to meet in a, in a bus <laughs> until we could find a place to meet. And how we came to America. And oh, the Lord opened door after door after door. And the thing about it, the thing about you and me is that, here's the thing, we all want the good stories. We all want to tell stories that we can be proud of. Stories that said we trusted God. Stories that said we made the decisions that were right. Stories that, that said we can look back. We don't want stories that we have to lie about. <laughs> But the stories that we tell are based on the decisions that we make. The stories you will tell one day is based on the decisions you make today. And the thing is, a lot of times when we are making decisions, we don't think about the stories we are going to tell. We just think about the moment before our face. So today... We are going to continue this Navigate series. And the first question we're going to deal with is this question of what story do I want to tell? We're talking about legacy. What story do I want to tell? The second question we'll deal with is, what, uh, is, is there attention that deserves our attention? And that's called a conscience question. Now I had to, in the Bible, find this scripture. That dealt with both. And this is so powerful. I want to tell you a story from the Bible. That is awesome. It is in 1 Samuel chapter 24. Look at this. This is, this is a situation. Let me set up the situation for you. Um, David kills Goliath. You remember that story, right? And then Saul the king hires him. And eventually David becomes the leader of Saul's army. I mean like huge. And so, you know, David, he gets really, really popular. People are singing about him in the streets. You know, David kills 10,000. Saul has killed only 1,000. And so Saul starts to get jealous. After a while, Saul realizes the Lord is with David and one day David is going to become king. And so Saul decides to uh, call David a treasonist. You know, like he's, he's committed treason. And so David runs for his life. And Saul starts to hunt David down. Verse uh, chapter 24, we're about four, five, six years maybe into this running away from Saul. Almost eight years, David is running from Saul every day, all the time. 
1 Samuel 24. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. All right, let's stop. Because I think sometimes we don't use our holy imagination when we're reading scripture. And I want to set up the scenario for us in case we read past these things and simply allow it to just be a part of the Bible and not to really see it in our minds. I need you to see it this morning. Saul gets 3,000 men. Now, this, this building holds about 700. So just think about four times this. Four times this of people are with him going to find David. And they're walking through the desert. And he is going and all of a sudden he says to the captain of his people, Hey, I need to stop. Uh, uh, your majesty, what, what do you need to stop for? I need to take a dump. <laughs> halt! The king needs to take a dump. No, everybody can't hear him. They don't have microphones, so you get there. Halt, everybody. Halt, the king needs to take a dump. Halt, the king needs to take a <laughs> Now, if you're not the king and you need to use the bathroom, tough. But when you are the king, <laughs> 3,000 people stop. Now, where they stop is at this place where on the hills, in Engedi, on the hills, it has caves all over. There are like hundreds of caves now. Hundreds of caves along the hillside. And so Saul goes up into one of them. And of course he's coming out of the, of, of, out of the, the sun, the Mediterranean sun, walking into the darkness of the cave. And he has to go far enough so that nobody can see him. I mean, after all, he is royalty amen and so he goes to his throne that was a play on words all right so he goes in and while he's in there here's what the bible says this is so good it's so good so he goes in to relieve himself david and his men were far back in the cave the same cave the men said this is the day the lord spoke of when he said to you I will give your enemies into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. So here it is in the back of the cave. Their eyes are adjusted. They can see Saul. Saul walks in. They recognize him. They can see Saul can't see nothing because Saul just come out of the bright. And so he's there now. He takes off his robe and you know, he, he does a squat and the guy's gone. This is it. <laughs> this is it. I mean, he is right there. Come on, let's do it. And David, the Bible says, look at this, this is good. He says, and David crept up unnoticed. And, let's just stop there for a second. <laughs> let's stop there for a second. Because what if you were David in that moment? What if you were running? 
for five, six, seven, eight years with all these men who are depending on you. Men who haven't been to their homes, men who have been, you know, they've been like in the wilderness this whole time and all the reason they're running is because they're associated with you. You're the leader, you're running, you're being uh, uh, accused of something that you don't didn't even do. The only person standing between you and the promise of God is right there at the tip of your sword. What would you do? Think about the frustration of all those years. Think about the, the, just the, the anger, the upset, this, everything is happening and then the anticipation that in one moment you could, I mean, listen, you could go Terminator right now. You could go John, what's his name? John Wick on this guy. Equalizer. And it would be done. You walk out to that cave with Saul's head in your hand. 3,000 men go, oh, here's the new king. It is done. What would you do in that moment with all that pressure, with all that? David crept up. The legacy question. We're going to come back to our story, but the legacy question says, what story do I want to tell? It's such a powerful question because most of us get caught up in the pressure and the emotion of the moment and we lose sight of the big picture of our lives. We don't think about how this moment impacts our overall story. You know, you went out with him. He was a jerk, but he was cute. You didn't have any other prospects and he had a job. Two years later... It crashes. You knew it would happen, but in the moment you made a decision because you didn't think about the story you wanted to tell. Your boss says, hey, lie to this client. You don't lie, but because the boss said that and you're afraid you might lose your job, you decide to lie. The, the client caught you, the boss threw you on the bus, you get fired. In that moment, you made a decision. Here's the thing. Lying and getting fired is a worse story than I refused to lie and got fired. What story do you want to tell? Your friends wanted to go out, you had an exam the next day, you told them no, they pressed, you pushed back, you stayed, aced the exam, graduated cum laude, now you have a big job, you don't even know where they are. What story do you want to tell? I remember one time I was in college, right? And... um. I had the opportunity to cheat on my then girlfriend who was back in Jamaica, Samantha. <laughs> Come on now. I had the opportunity to cheat because after all, long distance relationships don't work anyway. Right? 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 That was, that was the story. That was the story. That was, that was the voice. That was the voice. Right? I had the opportunity to cheat and, and I decided I wanted to tell a different, come on now, I wanted one day to sit with my kids and say, guess what, it can work. You don't have to cheat. I'm telling you, I did it and it can work. Guess what? I took the time as a 19, 20 year old to say, I want to tell a different story when I'm 40 and 45. And I made a decision based on the story I wanted to tell. Listen to me. 
If you think to yourself, what story do I want to tell? It will stop you in your tracks and say, hold on, do I really want to do this? Because now, I don't have to lie about that part of my life. Proverbs 13, 16 says, A wise man thinks ahead, but a fool doesn't, and even brags about it. <laughs> a fool is like, man, and I just cussed him out, put him right in his place. Ha! Show them who's the boss. That's a fool. And the Bible says that's a fool. I'm not saying, I'm not saying you're, I'm just saying the Bible says that's how a fool thinks. Because a wise man thinks it all the way through. Let me think. Here, if that happens and that happens and that happens and that happens, a fool just goes, I don't care what happens next, I'm just going to tell them. <laughs> I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do what I... Why? Because emotions complicate decision making. Emotions, listen, whether it's lust or love or jealousy or insecurity or fear or excitement, emotions complicate the decision making process by focusing our attention on the immediate rather than the ultimate. And this is what a lot of people see. Listen, listen. With kids, you know that like teenagers, I'm not bashing you teenagers, so just, just follow with me. You know teenagers, their frontal lobe isn't quite developed all the way till about 21, 22, 23. Some of them 25, 27, 30. <laughs> right, the frontal lobe isn't, isn't fully developed. And what happened to the frontal lobe? Some the, the frontal lobe is really what processes logic that says, hey, let me think about consequences, right? That's why teenagers tend to take greater risks than 60-year-olds. Amen? Amen. You don't see those 60 year old getting on no skateboard. Hey, they don't do that, right? Teenagers just go, oh, I fell, broke my arm. It's because I didn't do it right. I'm going to do it again next week. That's a teenager, right? And so what is happening here is that we who are older ought to be able to think through, hey, let me pause the emotions and think this properly before I make a decision. But a lot of times we don't. It's one of my favorite things is on the phone when somebody's pressuring me for something, let me call you back. I love that phrase. I like the phrase, hey, let me pray about it and I'll get back to you. I like, let me sleep on it for a moment. Let me sleep on it and come back. I don't like to buy a car the day I walk into a dealership. I don't like to buy anything the day it's being sold to me. Do you understand what I'm saying? And the worst thing you can tell me is, if you don't do it now, you'll miss this opportunity. You just know you're not going to, you're going to lose me right there. Why? Because the emotions of the moment cloud my own judgment about the long-term impact of what this decision could have. I'm trying to teach you something. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. Look, people who allow their strong emotions to manipulate them into a situation end up regretting it. You can look back at your regrets and you can say part of the problem was that emotionally I was in a place that I couldn't think straight. So strong emotions. Listen, listen to what Ephesians 4, 6, 26 says. This is in the TPT version. 
But don't let the passion of your emotions lead you to sin. Think about that. Don't let the passion of your emotions lead you to sin. Don't let anger control you or be fuel for revenge. Not even for a day. Don't give the slanderous accuser, the devil, an opportunity to do what? Manipulate. Oh my gosh, this is the manipulation right here. I'm not saying don't have emotions. Have emotions. Enjoy emotions. Listen, be excited. Be sad when you need to be sad. Grieve when you need to. Emotions are good. But here's the thing. Don't make decisions when your emotions are intense. Strong emotional appeals should trigger a red flag, not a green light. Oh my God. Man, if you love it so much, you can't do without it. That should be a red flag, not a green light. Oh my God, I can't wait, I can't wait. Red flag. Come on now, I'm telling you. Oh, I have to, I can't wait. I need to tell them a piece of my mind. Red flag. Come on now. I'm talking to somebody. You, you understand what I'm saying? If your intense emotions are... You need to... Red flag, red flag, red flag. You know what? Let me sleep. Let me sleep and come back. Let me see. If the argument is in your head and you played it out, red flag. Red flag. <laughs> Listen. In your decision-making moment, ask yourself this question. What story do I want to tell? When this is done, what story do I want to tell? That one question will cause you to pause long enough to consider the long term. And people who look past the immediate outcome of their circumstances to focus on the ultimate outcome have two things in common. They have wisdom and they have faith. Wisdom and faith. It takes wisdom to choose a better story. Hallelujah. Proverbs 14, 15 says, The simple believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. Man, if you're simple, you believe every word. Every word the salesperson telling you, you just believe it. Listen, every word you tell yourself, you just believe it. But the prudent considers well his steps. Proverbs 29, 11. Amplified, a short-sighted fool always loses his temper and displays his anger, but a wise man uses self-control and holds it back. Well, well. Number two, it takes wisdom to choose a better story. It takes faith to choose a better story. It takes faith to choose a better story. Let me tell you something about faith. Uh, sometimes people kind of make it feel like you either have wisdom or you have faith. Like somehow they're opposites of each other. Like if you're moving faith, you don't need wisdom. And if you're moving in wisdom, you're not moving at all. Because you're just contemplating all the time. Listen, it takes both wisdom and faith. The building you're sitting in right now was built by faith and wisdom. Can somebody say amen? Amen. It's not just, hey, I get a word from God and I'm just doing it. Jesus said this. I don't have this in notes, but listen. Jesus said this. Which of you who are building a temple doesn't first sit down to consider how much it will cost? Lest you start, there is this, this uh, foundation of people go, hey, this guy started, wasn't able to complete. What is he saying by that? He's saying, listen, it takes not just the faith to act, but the wisdom to go with it. You want a better story than he just had a foundation and he wasn't able to finish. 
Want a better story? So here's the faith story. The faith side of it is this. Look, uh, Hebrews 11.8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Listen, faith does this. It tells a better story because it doesn't leave us in our place of comfort. But it says, God, I'm willing to go wherever you send me. Come on now. Somebody shout Amen. Amen. Listen, faith is what it takes to start that business. Faith, and that's a better story. Faith is what it takes to step out, and that's a better story than I played it safe. All right. That's okay. Hebrews eleven twenty four to 26. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. That's a better story. It's a much better story that I just stayed rich as the prince of Egypt. I didn't do anything for my people. That's a better story. Choose a better story. So let's get back to our story in 1 Samuel 24. So the men said, verse 4, this is the day the Lord spoke of you when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off, not his head. <laughs> he cut off the corner of his robe. Why would he do that? Why would he disappoint everyone? Can you imagine everybody just waiting in anticipation for him to do it? And then he does that and they're like, what is he doing? What was he doing? John, what him doing? What what, what, what him doing? And then he's coming back and they're like, okay, what are you doing? Go, go back, back, back. Like, oh, maybe he wants me to do it. Maybe he wants me to do it. That's what it is. He doesn't want blood on his hand. He wants me to do it. All right? So he cuts off the... Why would he do that? Why would he disappoint everyone? Why would he go against his own feelings? Why would he ignore the obvious, immediate outcome? Because he wanted to tell a better story. Grandpa, how did you become king again? I trusted God. God removed the last king and he put me on the throne. That's a better story than I killed the king while he was taking a dump. <laughs> Are you seeing what I'm saying? It's a better story. Because you say, well, well, grandpa, if you did that, could he defend himself? No, that was the point. And when you grow up, I want you to do that to other people too. No, no. Bad story. Bad story. Here's a good story. If I can trust God, you can trust God too. That's a good story. That's a good story. <laughs> David told a better story. Because he trusted God rather than played God. I'll say that again. David chose a better story because he trusted God rather than played God. He used wisdom and faith to choose a story worth telling. So if you're a teenager here, here's a question. What story do you want to tell your kids? Because one day you're going to be telling somebody your story of what you were like as a teenager. What story do you want to tell your kids about how you treated your parents? 
how you dealt with your studies, how you dealt with your friendships, how you dealt with your relationships. Come on, what story you want to tell? Make a decision now based on the story you want to tell one day. If you're in college, what story do you want to tell about the peer pressure and how you dealt with it? What story do you want to tell your, about your own spiritual life and about integrity and about relationships and about how you dealt with all the stuff, the pressure of college? What story do you want to tell? If you're an adult, what story do you want to tell about your marriage, about your singleness, about your career? About your business, about your finance, about your calling, about the things that God placed in your heart, your dreams, your desire. What story do you want to tell your kids? Your kids are watching you for the stories that you write every single day. Don't make a decision that makes you a liar for life. Don't make a decision that makes you a liar for life. Long after whatever you've gained is gone, your lie will still be with you. The story that you want to tell is one you should be proud of. And so here's the legacy decision. I want everybody to make with me. Legacy decision. I want you to say it with me. Let's put it up on the screen. Are you ready? Here we go. I will decide a story I'm proud to tell. I will not decide anything that makes me a liar for life. One more time. I will decide a story I'm proud to tell. I will not decide anything that makes me a liar for life. Amen. Amen. Decide a story that you're proud to tell. Here's question number two, the conscience question. Is there a tension that deserves my attention? I didn't make it up. I borrowed it from somebody. But it sounds good. I like it. Is there attention that deserves my attention? There are times in the middle of a decision that the Holy Spirit creates some tension in your heart. A red flag. You got to pay attention to the red flags. You got to pay attention to the red flags. I've never preached from this scripture before, so I'm going to read it. And I don't know if any of you have ever saw it, saw it before, but here it goes. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 12 to 13. This is Paul speaking. He says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and the door was opened to me by who? The Lord. The Lord opened the door for Paul to preach in Troas. He said, I had no rest in my spirit. Because I did not find Titus my brother. But taking leave of them, I departed from Macedonia. Paul said, I went to this way. I know God called me there. I was there. I knew God called me there. There There's this opportunity. But I could not. There was something in my heart. Something in my spirit just didn't feel right. Because I didn't see Titus. And I just couldn't rest. I couldn't sleep properly. I couldn't think. Like something was off. And I walked away from the opportunity to go find Titus so that that check would be dealt with. Sometimes in the middle of a decision, even when you're going, okay, this is God, sometimes, boom, you'll feel the Holy Spirit say, hold on, something not right. Something not right. 
It doesn't mean that the door and the opportunity wasn't God. It does mean that sometimes you have to go, is this the right time? And maybe I need to ask some more questions about this before I agree. Maybe I need to do some research. Maybe I need to do some conversation. Maybe I need to address something. Maybe I need to deal. I, I need to check this out because the Holy Spirit oftentimes not only gives us peace when it's good, but He gives us tension when it's not. See, we talk about the peace side all the time. We don't talk about this other side. You see, you got to pay attention to the whispers of God. Don't jump into a decision without paying attention to the whispers of God. And sometimes it's not coming up while you're praying, you know. Sometimes you're just in it and something just goes, hmm, something to feel right. You ever had that before? Something in your spirit, just don't take it. Uh, you know what uh, God said to, to, um, to Elijah? He took him out to the mountainside. This is in 1 Kings. And Elijah said there was an earthquake that passed. And there was fire that passed. This was great wind. But he said, but it was the still, small voice. The Lord was in the still, small voice. Sometimes it's just quieting ourselves enough to hear the whisper of God. Don't allow what's going on out here to distract you from what's going on in here. Are you following me? That internal hesitation is God's protection in your life. That's a red flag. That's a hold on. Don't go forward. Let's get back to our story. 2 Samuel 24 verse 5 Afterward, David was conscience stricken my god now david go up there to kill the guy he already goes i am not i'm going to tell a better story i'm not going to kill him and now he is conscience stricken because he cut off the man's robe something inside him just went oh i should have done that what's wrong with me he said to his men the lord forbid that i should do such a thing to my master they thought they had convinced him. They had sold him a good story. He had the Lord on his side. This is the Lord's timing. I mean, look, we don't believe in luck. We don't believe in coincidence. We believe in blessing. And look what a blessing it was that my enemy is right there to be killed. And he says, you know what? I felt so concentrated. Here's, here's what he said. Lord forbid that I should such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him. For he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them. What were they trying to do? <laughs> did not allow them to attack Saul. They were saying, if you don't do it, I'm going to do it. And Saul left the cave. The opportunity is gone. Saul left the cave and went his way. I like this, this quote by Charles Stanley. It says this, God takes full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. Man, if you trust the Lord, if you trust that check in your heart, if you say, you know what, God, I'm going to trust you. I don't get it because everything logically tells me this is the right thing to do, but I'm going to trust you. If you trust the Lord, God said, I'll take responsibility for you. You don't have to worry about it. I'll take responsibility for the provision. I'll take responsibility for the open doors. I'll take responsibility for where you're going. Just trust me in this. I'm telling you, don't touch my anointed. 
even though he's wrong. Don't touch my anointed, even though he's off. Don't touch my anointed, even though he's going crazy. Don't touch, don't do what I don't want you to do. You gotta just trust me. Trust me in this. Seven chapters later, seven chapters later, Saul dies in battle and David becomes king. Think about this for a second. What if David knew that Saul was going to be dead seven chapters later? How much of a decision would he have to make? None. It would be easy. Hey, I know God's going to take care of this. Hey, the fact that he's in here is just showing me that God could deliver him to me anytime, but I'm good. What if God, if, if, if David understood and knew God's plan and the details of it? He'd be cool. But that's where trust comes in. Trust comes in when you don't know the plan, but you can trust the heart of the one who has the plan. Come on now, clap your hands for that. Amen. Amen. So David told a better story because he listened to the tension in his heart rather than the pressure in the cave. And sometimes in the pressure of our cave, we get distracted from hearing what God is saying in our hearts. If there's something in you, something you can't put your finger on, something that bothers you, like, you know what, you're considering, but you can't have quite put your finger like, what is wrong? Why does this not feel peaceful? Pause, pray, and pay attention to the tension. Do not ignore it, explore it. I'm going to say that again. Do not ignore it. Explore it. Why am I feeling this way? What's going on, Lord? Help me work this through. Let me talk to some people. People who know better than me. People who are not as emotionally caught up in this situation like me. Let me talk to somebody. It may not be the overall decision that's wrong. It may be something you need to communicate, negotiate, or investigate. But you've got to do something about that tension in your heart. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. And so the conscience decision. I want you to say this with me. The conscience decision. I will pause. Where is it? Come on. Where is conscience? There we go. I will pause even when I can't pinpoint the cause of my hesitation. I will explore rather than ignore my conscience. We won't say it one more time. I will pause even when I can't pinpoint the cause of my hesitation. I will explore rather than ignore my conscience. And now, the conclusion of our story. So Saul leaves the cave. He goes down. He's with the guys. And David comes out of the cave. And he shouts to him, Hey, my king, my lord! And Saul is like, David, is that you, my son? my son. So funny. So you go, verse 10, 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 10. This day, this is David speaking, you have seen me with your own eyes, how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord, because he is the Lord's anointed. Verse 12. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not 
touch you. Come on now. My hand is not going to touch you. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Saul, I'm, I trust God too much. I trust God too much. There's a legacy I'm building that's too important to me. My legacy is too important. My stories are too important. My future is too important. My kids are too important. My, my grandchildren are too important. I have something bigger than you that I'm looking at right now. David finished saying this. Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. And here's what Saul said. You are more righteous than I. He said, you have treated me well, but I've treated you badly. You, here's what Saul was saying. You are telling a better story than me. Your story, you can share with pride. My story, I'm ashamed to talk about. You are telling a better story than I ever could. And David, for that, I honor you. How many of you learned something today? Hallelujah. Bow your heads with me. I just want to pray with you real quick. No matter where you are right now, I want to tell you something. Your story is still being written. Your story isn't finished. You're just part way through. Maybe there were times you did allow the cave to pressure you into doing something that you knew in your heart just didn't feel right. And it wasn't that the thing was wrong. It was just that uh, the tension was there. And you already did it. But God says, I can still write a story that's worth telling if you trust me. If you would trust me, I can still write a story worth telling. I can move your situation from darkness to light. Out of the mud upon the rock. I can still turn around that which seems lost and make it right. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? Today is your day. Some of you here, you just need to surrender to God because there is a hurt, there is guilt, there is shame, there is disappointment.